Amen. Good to see all of you tonight, and again, good to have those of you that can join us from your homes tonight. Exodus chapter 30 tonight, lifting up our worship to God, Exodus chapter 30. While you're finding Exodus chapter 30, three weeks from tonight, Nicole is leading a worship night here on Wednesday night. You won't want to miss that. Wednesday, May the 10th, mark it on your calendars, an entire night of worship. And then, a week from tomorrow, April the 27th, the last Thursday of the month, at 9.30 in the morning and 6.30 in the evening, Marsha Price is going to present her slides and pictures from Israel that her and Toby uh, had that trip. And anyone in the church is invited. I mean, normally that's the women's Bible study time, but they want to open it up to anybody in the church that wants to come and see those slides. It's going to be both a presentation and information, as well as she's going to be sharing some of the first thoughts about uh, a group taking a trip to Israel that you might be interested in. So uh, that's next Thursday, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, uh, 9.30 in the morning or 6.30 in the evening. You can choose, all right? Again, Exodus chapter 30 continues our study of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the place where God said, I will meet with my people. And everything about the tabernacle revealed something about God. Every piece of furniture, every furnishing, every stitch in the high priest's garments, everything was to be a reflection of God. And there was nothing too big or too small to reflect the glory and the greatness and the goodness of God. Something you and I need to keep in mind. There's nothing too small to give God glory. Many times we think it's got to be something big. No. It can be the very smallest thing, and it can still bring God glory. And he wants his people to see that he is in the details, that he is in the minutia, if you will, of our worship, and, and that he is very much concerned and, and pays attention to the finest of details. And we're going to see that again tonight when, first of all, we talk about the altar of incense. Now, before we get into this specific piece of furniture, I want to do a little quick review. And obviously, this isn't to scale because it would have been a little bit larger than the platform. And plus, I can't even go all the way over because I'd run out of the camera. And the people at home would go, where did Pastor Jeff go? So I'm going to start over here, though, at the edge. You would come into the tabernacle proper, and you would come into the outer courtyard. And the first piece of furniture, in a sense, that you would come into there would be what was called the brazen altar, the bronze altar. It would be where the sacrifices were made. It's where the animals were sacrificed, okay? That was the first piece. 
Then you would come a little bit further, and there was the basin, the bronze basin. It was where the priests would make sure that they were washed, and we'll talk about that tonight. Those were the two furnishings in the courtyard. Then you came across to what was called the most holy place. There were three pieces of furniture or furnishings in the holy place. Over here was the table with the bread. Back here would have been the golden lampstand. And right in front of the curtain, right in front of the curtain or outside the curtain that would lead into the most holy place or the holy of holies where there was only one piece of furniture and that was the Ark of the Covenant. Right outside that curtain was the altar of incense. So keep that in mind as you look at the first few verses of Exodus chapter 30. Moses is directed by God to make an altar for burning incense. This altar had one purpose. This altar was used for sacrifice. This altar was used simply to burn incense continually. Now, something I want to point out here. In both cases, altars are looked at as places of worship. The altar where the sacrifices are made and the altar of incense are both places of worship, but they are also places of service. You cannot sacrifice without somebody servicing and, you know, taking care of the animals and slaughtering the animals and applying the blood to the horns, as we've already talked about. And you can't go over here and, and have this incense burning continually without having somebody, again, trimming the lamps and, and cutting the wicks and making sure that there's incense there to burn. So what I want us to see tonight is that our worship of God and our service of God are linked together always. If we are truly worshiping God, then we are serving him in some capacity. You, you cannot say, I'm a worshiper of God and I'm not serving. And you can't say, I'm serving God if I'm not worshiping. They are linked together. God made sure that his people understood that all the way back at the very beginning of him teaching them how to worship him. And let's not forget, the book of Exodus is all about God taking a group, a nation of slaves who have been slaves in Egypt for 430 years, and now he is delivering them out of slavery in Egypt, and he is teaching them how to worship him. If God can take a nation of slaves and can teach them how to worship him, then he can take us and teach us how to worship him as well. And that's what he's doing. Even here at the Oasis, he continues to teach us how to worship him. And we can even learn how to worship him, even as New Testament Christians, by understanding the Old Testament. Because many of the principles are the same, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. Notice very specifically, God tells them what the length of this altar is to be, what the height is to be, and all of that. And then in verse 3, it is to be overlaid, again, with pure gold. Because remember, items closer to the ark were always more precious 
and costly metals and materials than those that were away. Over here, bronze altar. Here, overlaid with gold. Ark of the Covenant, gold. The closer you got to the presence of God, the more costly, the more precious the metals and the materials. He talks about, in verse 4, it having poles, because again, like every other piece of furniture in the tabernacle, it had to be portable. It had to be carried, because God would always be with his people, even as they wandered around for 40 years. And so let's not forget what that teaches us about God. Why did they wander? Because they did not believe God. Because of their unbelief, they could not enter the promised land. So God, instead of abandoning his people, even when they did not obey him and did not believe in him, he was still faithful. He was still faithful to his people in being with them even when they did not believe in him. And God is the same today. When God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that's what he said and that's what he means. And you and I can walk away from God, but God will never walk away from us. And you see that even in the furniture and the furnishings of the tabernacle. Notice again verse 6. Where are we to put this altar of incense? Verse 6, right in front of the curtain that is before the ark of the testimony. Before the lid, the atonement lid that is over the testimony. And that's where I will meet you. That's where I will engage with you, and that's where you will come to know me by experience. Five times in these chapters, God over and over again says, that's where I'll meet you. That's the designated space. And if you do the things that I'm telling you to do, then my presence will be manifested there, at that time, in this way. Notice he repeats this over in... Uh, Verse 36 of this same chapter, he says, in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. That was important to God because this whole idea of delivering and rescuing and saving a people out of Egypt was all about so that I could have a relationship with you, so that we could relate to each other. But I'm a holy God and you are a sinful people. So I had to make a way for sinful people to be able to meet with me. So here's the altar of sacrifice. It has to be by blood. It has to be people, uh, animals laying down their lives so that you could meet with me. And it's also pointing, obviously, to the ultimate sacrifice of the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. So all of this, again, was reminders of who God was, who they were, and the privilege and honor they had to be able to meet God. You know, in, in a similar way, you and I should remind ourselves that every time we walk into this building, we are coming to the place that God has designated where he will meet with his people. And we should never take that for granted. We should always appreciate that. I mean, think about the fact, and we'll talk about this later, that only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement could go into the Holy of Holies and interact with God. You and I as priests of God, as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, we have that privilege every second of the day. And then as the people of God, as the church, we should treat this sacred space like they did. My goodness, this is where God said he will meet with us. This is special. 
this is holy. This is sacred space. This is set apart. God meets with us here. He works here. He moves with us here. He does dynamic things in our presence in this space. Now, just like everything else in the tabernacle, some of the reasons why God did the things that he did and had them do the things that they did was for very pragmatic reasons and other things were for spiritual reasons and for spiritually symbolic reasons. And the altar of incense is no different. We're going to see in a few moments the spiritual implications of the altar of incense, but let's not forget, God did not want any foul odors near his presence. Well, obviously, over here, dead animals, blood, a lot of bad odor, right? So that's why we place the altar of incense right outside the curtain of the Holy of Holies. It would have been a way to, in a sense, fumigate the air around the Holy of Holies before they went in to the curtain, you see. It kept the bad odor separate from there. So again, God would always have different levels of things working at the same time. Sometimes very practical. For instance, we're going to see a bit, little bit later on. Why the wash basin? Well, for one, hygiene. You should wash your hands. You should keep clean. But there's another reason for the wash basin. God wanted purity of his people, especially those that were attending his house. He expects us to be pure, and he expects us to be undiluted, that we should be all in. That's the wash basin, you see. So God is teaching his people several things at the same time, some physical, some hygienic, some spiritual, but they all have purpose because God doesn't reveal anything to his people that doesn't have some purpose behind it, and again, that doesn't reveal something about who he is. So let's move on. Aaron, verse 7, is to burn sweet incense on it morning by morning. When he attends to the lamps, he is to burn incense. Again, going back to even the lamp stand and here, the altar of incense. It was going to take priests who would every day have to trim the wicks and set things up in order to keep this altar of incense burning incense all the time. Because notice, verse 8, when Aaron sets up the lamps around sundown, he's to burn incense on it, is to be a regular incense, a continual, a constant offering before the Lord throughout your generations. Just like the lamp is never to go out, it is always to be burning. What's that say about God? Same thing here. The altar of incense was always to be lifting up worship to God as the incense went up to God before the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the covenant. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this sweet incense. God had a specific recipe of spices that he was going to give his people to mix together to form that incense. In a sense, just like the colonel had 11 herbs and spices that was part of his secret recipe, right? God had a special recipe that he was going to give to his people. 
and he did not want them to deviate from it at all. It had to be followed exactly. They couldn't add an ingredient to it. They couldn't take an ingredient out of it. It had to be exactly. Because notice what God says in verse 9. You must not offer strange incense or another recipe of spices. In other words, the priest couldn't go, you know what? Uh, I'm thinking about adding a little pinch of this or a little pinch of that. You know what happened to the priests that did that and offered strange incense before the Lord? They died. They died. Why is God doing this at this time in Israel's history? Because he wants his people to see that every detail matters. And if you can't follow a simple recipe that I give you to make incense in my house, then you can't handle bigger things. And it's not like the people of God had to figure out what the incense recipe was. God is going to give it to them. He's going to give them every spice that he wants in that recipe. All they have to do is follow it. And that's where Jesus comes along in the New Testament and says, if you can't be faithful in little things, how do you expect me to entrust you with bigger and greater, more significant, more important things? If you can't handle putting a recipe together that I give you, and it's again, it's God saying to his people, I'm in the details. And no detail is unimportant. So if I'm telling you in this special recipe for this incense, I want this particular spice, then there's a reason I want that spice. And by the way, you saw there that God even described the, the aroma of the incense as sweet. God likes something sweet. That's what he wants. He didn't want something sour. He didn't want something off-putting. He wanted a sweet aroma. And God knew exactly the combination of spices that would be needed to produce that sweet aroma right before the curtain into the Holy of Holies. Verse 10. Aaron is to make atonement on its horns once in the year with some of the blood of the sin offering for atonement. Atonement simply means a covering for sin that is acceptable to God. And that's important. It can't be what we want to cover our sin. It's got to be acceptable to God. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned and they tried to make their own coverings, that was not acceptable to God. So God slayed an animal and he made coverings for them. That's why he accepted Cain's offering and not Abel's, because it was acceptable to God, because that's what God said. That's what God revealed to them. And Cain brought what God wanted. Abel brought what he wanted to bring. Same principle is true today. We cannot come to God and say, God, I want to worship you and serve you the way I want to. It might even be something good, well-intentioned and all of that, but the bottom line is we've got to do it God's way or it's not acceptable. And so many even Christians today are trying to worship God their own way. Well, I can, I can worship God this way. This is the way I've thought up to, this is the way I've thought up to serve God. No. We've got to figure out how God wants us to serve him and do it his way. And that's what he taught them all the way back in the book of Exodus. By the way, let me repeat what I shared earlier. We should never 
get over the fact. Because when I saw that phrase in verse 10, once in the year, you know what I wrote in my Bible? Wow, exclamation mark. What a blessing we enjoy. Only the high priest, no one else in Israel, only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, and only once a year. Let me ask you something. What if you and I could only experience the presence of God once a year? How different would our lives be if we could have no engagement with God apart from once a year? That is the difference between the book of Exodus and their experience and us. And let me just say it, and I'm speaking to myself too, I think because we can go into the presence of God anytime because of the blood of Jesus Christ, many days we take that privilege and honor for granted. We do. Because it's like, oh, it's no big deal. Yeah, it is. Especially when it's compared to the way it was with the Israelites in the book of Exodus. And notice God says at the end of verse 10, it is most holy, most sacred, most significant to the Lord. Next, notice that the Lord spoke to Moses, and we're so glad that God speaks to us, otherwise we have no clue. God wanted him to take a head count, a census of all the Israelites. Why? Because they needed to pay a ransom. Basically, it was a redemption offering for what God has done for them. And notice in verse 13, no exceptions. Everyone who had a head had to pay this offering. What was it for? Well, verse 13, it was to provide for the sanctuary or the sacred space where God would meet with his people. The half shekel was to be a contribution to the Lord, but ultimately, if you look at verse 16, it was used for the upkeep and needs of the sacred space or the tent of meeting. Again, not much has changed. Folks, we need offerings, obviously, for the ministry and the upkeep of God's sacred space here in Gilbert. And if it wouldn't be for your generosity and your giving to the Lord and your offering, we couldn't do what we do. God established that principle way back in the book of Exodus. If we're going to enjoy, as a community of believers, the presence of God and meet with him in this space, then all of us need to be giving offerings in order to do the ministry and upkeep that needs to be done for this sacred space and in this sacred space. Then we get verse 17 to the bronze laver. Again, why is it bronze? Because remember, it's in the courtyard. Two, two furnishings in the courtyard. The brazen altar where the sacrifices were made and the bronze basin where the priests would wash. Notice the Lord spoke to Moses and directed him here. You were to also make a large brown or bronze basin with a bronze stand for washing. God was teaching his people the importance, importance of purity in his presence. And notice this cleansing, verse 21, will be a perpetual ordinance for them and for their descendants throughout their generations. They must wash their hands. They must wash their hands before they alter, offer sacrifices. 
They must wash their hands before they take care of the incense. They must wash their hands. Again, it was a reminder to them that I must come before God with clean hands and be undiluted in my commitment and my devotion to him. Then look at verses 22 down through 33. The next thing that the Lord instructs Moses about is this anointing oil. Notice in verse 25, God calls it a sacred anointing oil that, verse 26, you are to anoint everything with. From the tent to the ark to the table to the lampstand, verse 27, to the altar of incense, everything is to be anointed. And because God is giving instruction here, Notice then in verse 31, God goes from calling it a sacred anointing oil to my sacred anointing oil. Because if it's used for him and the worship of him and service for him, it becomes his. Think about yourself. You're not just any individual. You're God's individual. You are God's servant. You are God's child. You belong to him. And you are special to him for that reason. He sets everything apart. And so the anointing oil was to be used to literally set everything apart and consecrate it and devote it to the Lord. Now notice something, verse 32 and 33. This oil that was used to anoint everything in the tabernacle was to be exclusively used for the worship of God and not used for personal use. He says it must not be applied to people's bodies. You must not make like it any other recipe. It is holy. It must be holy. If you make a perfume like it, whoever puts any of it on it, you'll be cut off. I want this recipe for the anointing oil, which, by the way, he gives in verse 23 and 24. That's the anointing oil recipe, a special recipe that God gives. You are not to use this recipe for anything other than the worship of me. I'll come back to that point. Because notice God does the same thing with the incense and that recipe as well, verse 34. God says, here's the special recipe for the incense. Spices, gum, resin. We don't even know what ancha is, can I tell you? That no one's really clear of what that word meant. Now, obviously, they did. And this incense is to burn, just like God said, in front of the ark. But then notice what he says in verse 37. You must not make your, for yourselves this incense. In other words, they couldn't take this recipe and use it to burn incense in their own home. That was a no-no. Why? Because this recipe and this incense was to be exclusively used for the worship of God. It is to be most holy to you, belonging to the Lord. Whoever makes anything like it to use as perfume, cut off from my people. What is God teaching here about exclusivity in his worship? Well, he's reminding us of something that you and I know in principle. There's a few relationships that we have in life to where we get so close to someone, whether it's a spouse, a friend, or whatever, to where we share something with them and between us that it's just between us. It's not for a wider audience. It's just something that we share 
together that no one else is a part of. And God, because we are made in his image, that's where we get that from. That, that God wants to say, I want to be so special to you that, that you and me have sort of some exclusive stuff that's just between us and that you don't do that with anyone else but me. You don't use that with anybody else but me. It's just between you and I. That's what sets that relationship apart from just being a common other relationships where we share, you know, certain things with many, but there's just a few that's like, nope, we share something special between us that only we share. And God wanted to teach his people that angle, if you will, that perspective on this. Because he wanted them to look at him that way. This is special. So I want you to think tonight as we wrap this up in just a moment. Obviously, God takes a group of people like us at the Oasis and he does things that are exclusive just for us, just our church. And now he moves in other churches in an exclusive way there too. And, and I don't know whether you've been in both services since we've went to two services, but Nicole and I talk about this all the time. The 9 and 11 service feel different and look different from Sunday to Sunday. And it's not that one's bad and one's good. It's just because of the people who are in both of those services. And God is fashioning whatever he's doing through our worship and through the word for those people in that service. Because again, that's how personal God is. Each service looks different. Now, the songs are the same. The message is from the same passage but it still looks different and feels different. And there's even a different response from the people who are there, you see. And God wants us to understand that even personally, he wants to share some things just with us personally that are exclusive between him and I. I want you to think about that. What is it that you and God share, just the two of you, that you don't share with anybody else? It's just... You and God have that. And if you don't or you can't think of anything like that, ask God to reveal what that would be because God wants to relate to us in that way. He wants us to have sort of just something special just between us and him. That's the kind of God that he is. Now, in closing tonight, this whole chapter was a lot about anointing oil and the special recipe for that and the, alt and the incense and the special recipe for that. So I want to apply this tonight to you and I. I want to first talk about the anointing oil or the anointing, right? Anointing's always been very important to God. Why? Because it was a way to sort of set things apart and consecrate them. And by laying on of hands and smearing the oil, it was also a very visible expression of God saying, my hand's on you and I've got you and I'm with you in whatever I'm calling you to. That's why kings and priests and prophets were all anointed for service because it was a way for God to set them apart and saying, I called you, I will equip you, I will see it through, I'm with you, right? That's, that's anointing, okay? So in order to do that, we, we can leave the book of Exodus for tonight. Go over, first of all, to the book of Acts. 
I got three verses that I want to share with you tonight in closing. The book of Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. While Jesus was on earth, again, 100% God, but also 100% human. Notice what Luke writes about the Lord in Acts 10.38, with respect to Jesus from Nazareth, that God anointed him with who? The Holy Spirit and with power. That's our anointing, folks. We have been anointed with the Holy Spirit and the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And if you turn over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, you will see very clearly in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, that all believers, all Christians, all those who have placed their faith in Christ have this anointing. 1 John 2, 20, Nevertheless, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And because he lives inside of you, you have Holy Spirit power. That's your anointing. Now, obviously, the anointing can go further than that and be more specific than that. But generally speaking, all Christians have that anointing. And that's why Jesus even said, because you have the Holy Spirit to his followers, this Holy Spirit, he will direct you and guide you and lead you into all truth. You have that anointing, you see. And then the incense, the sweet aroma, if you will. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. It's a great verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, and the verses around this, obviously the context are, is great too, but for the sake of tonight, I just want to direct your attention to this verse and then we'll wrap it up. 2 Corinthians 2.15. Think about the incense right outside the Holy of Holies. And then notice what Paul says to Christians in Corinth. For we are a sweet aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. A sweet aroma. Because just as the incense was burned, God wants to light a fire inside of us as believers and light us up and burn us for his glory so that the incense of Jesus Christ can be released to anyone we come in contact with and everywhere we go. He wants us to smell like Jesus. He wants us to look like Jesus. He wants us to act like Jesus. He wants us to talk like Jesus. We are to be a sweet aroma. Think of the incense and then think of ourselves. God wants us to continually be that sweet aroma that goes up and fills the nostrils of God in heaven because of the way we are moving through life, the way we are carrying ourselves through life. In a sense, we now embody the incense from the altar in the tabernacle. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight for the wonderful time that we've had in your house. We thank you, God, that you've made us your incense, the sweet aroma of Christ. May we never forget what a privilege and what a responsibility that is.
Thank you, God, for anointing us, for giving us the Holy Spirit of God with power. Thank you, God, for reminding us of who you are and how you want to even have a very special relationship, not only with us as a church, like every church and every community of believers, but Lord, you want to have a very special relationship with each one of us personally. You want us to share something with you that only we share with you, that's only between us. Lord, that's what makes our personal relationship just even more special than it already is. Because you're that personal, God. You're that, you want us to see ourselves that way as well. That we are so special to you that, Lord, you would, you would share something just between us, Lord, in that way. What a God. You are so amazing. And I pray tonight, Lord, that as either we turn off our television sets at home or whether, Lord, we leave this building tonight, that again, all of us will leave here having a greater and higher view and opinion of who our God is. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week.